0: And welcome to word up a series of podcasts hosted by oxford university press with helen prince and guests in this podcast the word perform is going to come up and we thought it would be quite interesting to have a little look at the etymology behind that word so this word came around in the around the 1300s and meant to carry into effect to fulfill to discharge or carry out what is demanded or required And then really interestingly, the theatrical musical sense of the word perform came around in the 1600s, and that meant then to act or represent something on a stage, to sing or render a musical instrument. And what I particularly like about this word is the verb form. So in the the verb form of the word, in Middle English, it meant to make or to construct to produce or to bring about, but it also meant your dreams coming true. How lovely is that? So to perform in Middle English meant to make your dreams come true. So that's a really lovely moment for us to remember. That's the story behind that word. Today I'm joined by Shireen Wilkinson, which is an absolute joy. She is an incredible array of of, of awesomeness, <laughs> including advisor, very experienced primary school teacher, senior leader. She's been the advisor for her LA in Sutton. She's also an author of all sorts of different books by OUP and has been in education for about 20 years. Welcome to our podcast, Shireen. Oh, thank you so much. Lovely to be chatting to you today. Yeah, just brilliant. Lovely to uh, see you, although we're just going to be hearing you, aren't we, on on our
1: podcast. (laughs) Let's get to know you a bit and tell us, why did you choose teaching? Okay, so originally I was really enthusiastic about English. So from very little, probably age five, I'd write poems and read them in assembly. So it's something that I've always been passionate about. And then I did my A-level English and I did just a straight degree in English literature. So not even teaching. And then I did my PGCE in, in primary. And I think it was when I was doing my degree and we did a unit on children's literature for the whole year. I got really excited back then. It was Harry Potter that had just been released about 20 years ago. And I thought, actually, yeah, this is something that I'd like to do. So it was only until I did my degree that I wanted to become a teacher. Awesome. So those little
0: poems you wrote when you were five, have you still got a few of those?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I have. (laughs) I would uh, practice them. Then I always remember a poem I wrote in year one. And um, I read it to the the whole assembly because I was was one of those children that just liked English and and, and drama, especially. So winter has gone, the sun has come out, flowers have opened, that is no doubt. So it's like, I just thought... Oh, you still remember it by heart. That's fantastic.
0: Do you know, just shows you how vital those early memories are. You you know, that's, that's a really formative experience for you. And you still remember that poem.
1: Yes. I do. I won't read it all because it's quite cringy, but I just, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just remember just reading poetry and just being really sort of engaged with it all from a very young age. So that's why I'm passionate about it, particularly for children who don't get that opportunity. And that's why I kind of work in that sort of field.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. And poetry, boy, is that a huge, huge benefit to us in everything that we want to do.
1: Absolutely. My mum loves writing poetry. She's always writing poems and then sharing them. If there's an event, she would sort of write a poem for it. If there's a funeral, she would write a poem. For lockdown, she's written a poem. (laughs) Really? That's kind of how I grew up, yeah. That's in your genes. Yeah, she loves English as well. So that's kind of where I've got it from too. Fascinating.
0: Thank you. That's That's really brilliant. So you're
1: telling us there about your passions,
0: which is really inspiring. Thank you. What about your best lesson? So I know that you do lots of observations. So it might be one you've you've seen or it might be one you've taught yourself.
1: But what, what's your best lesson? Yeah, so I, I have a hands-on approach. So whenever I work in schools, I always do what I call just really simple co-teaching, co-planning, and working alongside the teacher, sometimes teaching the class. But the best way I find is to do the lesson together or to model the first part of the lesson and then work together. I have to say, I worked in a school in, in a London, in, in Brixton, year six class. They were quite sort of, sort of struggling with their reading. And I did a session on vocabulary and pop songs with them. And basically songs that they knew. And it was interesting because the children looked at me as if to say, who is this teacher coming in <laughs> and teaching us these songs? They might that, that you added. were a famous pop star. <laughs> are cool. You no, know, who is this person? So I basically, I showed them some songs, different ones, and ones that I knew they'd be really, really familiar with. What, what, like, what were your songs? So we looked. Can you, <laughs> you remember? Know this. Yes, I do. You probably know this already, Helen. But we used a little bit of Stormzy. I know his lyrics. aren't always oh, the best, but we use <laughs> We use the clean bits of Stormzy. I, I use
0: that with Year Eleven. I think Stormzy's His lyrics are is so passionate, and there's so yeah. much depth to them I think they're great yeah I've used that in GCSE teaching look I
1: I just had to use it um I've used with children Adele I've used the, uh, I've used all sorts just things that they're engaged with but we used that and that worked really well and then we did that whole metacognition how do you know what word do you think this is So I think that was one of my best lessons and they got really good reading results
0: well you're a girl after my own heart there Shireen you've talked about music hand drama and poetry so I think, I think we should set up a school together <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely absolutely plus Helen. how cool are you with Stormzy and Adele in your <laughs> very <right>. good <laughs> we played him at our wedding we
0: played him oh wow yeah I'm with you
1: all right so that
0: leads me on to another question about how we explicitly teach vocabulary so we've mentioned a bit about drama and music but can you tell us about you know what does it look like to really explicitly teach vocabulary for our young people and try and bridge this word gap that we're all hearing about
1: Yeah, so you've got kind of like this, if you like, this sort of combination of things. So I think I should just go back a step. So within the bigger, the wider picture of teaching vocabulary, you've got implicit vocabulary. So things like reading a whole class story to the children and then picking up that within their reading. You've got things like reading for pleasure and, you know, working with children, picking up vocabulary as they're going along. So we kind of call that implicit, if you like. Yeah. And we've got that kind of vocabulary for reading. So children using that, which I can talk about a little bit later. We've got vocabulary for writing. So if you're sort of writing much more formally, you might use a certain type of vocabulary. If you're very informally, you might use things like contractions or idioms or things like that. So you've got that kind of vocabulary. You've yeah. also got vocabulary for spoken language, you know, things like discourse mark as well. Mm. So, you know, those kinds of things. But explicit teaching is just something that we might not have been doing over the years. So, you know, lots of schools might have had, for example, the word of the week, for example, so yeah. the children are, are understanding a word. But explicit teaching is actually taking a word and unpicking it. It's different meanings, it's connotations. So put simply, you might pre-teach, for example, vocabulary when you're reading a book, but you might also look at synonyms to do with that word. You might look at uh, antonyms to do with that word. You might draw the word, act out the word, write it in different ways. And also what I found to be quite successful as things like looking at the etymology of the word. And I know lots of people have talked about this. You know, what's, what's the root? Is, does it have a Greek root? Does it have a Latin root? And it helps children to kind of understand the meanings of words.
0: Yeah, it's like the story, isn't it? The story of
1: a word. We're always interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's something that we've kind of always taken a word and we've kind of looked at the definition of the word. But this time we're kind of really unpicking the word, and really understanding it and then applying it into our writing, applying it into our reading, um, applying it uh, across the curriculum. So I just I just think there's just there's always been that kind of gap, if you like, in terms of being explicit about the teaching. Yeah.
0: And I think that's right, Shireen. I think that's don't you think it's like what some of the most fun we can have in the classroom is unpicking vocabulary and specific words because you get to hear what makes kids tick you know yeah. if, if you're looking at a word like spontaneous and um and you unpack it and you get to see what the layers of meaning are that build up in kids heads you know where does it come from what does it sound like where what are the synonyms that we know for that word and It's it's like we were saying, it's about the story, isn't it? The story behind. Mm. And actually, when you unpack individual words, you you really get to hear that story
1: of what what kids, what's going on in their heads. Yeah, I, I find it really useful. Obviously, I'm from a generation where we didn't really do any of this. And actually, I find it really useful. One of the things that we did do, though, I did a lot of this with my mother. So my mum would unpick words, tell me words, what they meant, et cetera. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about that, because I was lucky enough to have that from home. But some children aren't as lucky to have that from home. And so I just want all children to have that 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 access, if you like, to make up with.
0: Yeah. And, it you know, that's one of the things we need to be really mindful of, isn't it, is giving our families as much as we can to help that, what you've just been describing, you know, that talk environment at home. It's one of the things the um, latest WordGap report picks up on is really supporting parents and families with talk Mm -hmm. in the the home. Reading, obviously crucial, but, you know, all of those talk activities as well, stuff to talk about over supper and all of that. Do you think that the way that we teach vocabulary, changes significantly through primary from you know EYFS through to key stage two
1: what does it look like? I think it changes immensely and I think that's what's important when we're looking at quite a bit of the research, and that's what I've kind of been trying to unpick for schools, quite a lot of it is for older children. I watched a really good webinar the other day and I can't remember who was presenting on it. But one of the things they said was that make sure your strategies are age appropriate. So when children are very young, it's important to act out the word for them to hear it, for them to listen to songs. And actually explicit teaching vocabulary, finding antonyms, synonyms are not appropriate for that age group, particularly Mm. very young children. I'm thinking of nursery children, EYFS children, et cetera. But as they move into Key Stage 1, we can explore the word, we can act it out, we can do some drama around it. And for a very kind of able pupils, we might start in Year 2 looking at some of the etymology of the word. But as, then, as we reach into Key Stage 2, that's when we're really looking at etymology. What does it mean? What's the word origin, if you like? Does it have a Greek root, a Latin root, a French root? And it helps children to really understand the meanings of words. So I think we just need to be mindful sometimes when we're looking at things of the age group and what's age appropriate in terms of teaching vocabulary. And the best way for young children to kind of take on new vocabulary is for them to be reading.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because then it's about the story and it's the story that's so engaging. Do you know, I was doing some work for a school the other day and we were looking at the etymology and, um, and how we can link that to story. And we were looking at hippopotamus. Oh, and, lovely. And I didn't know this, but it's from um, Latin and Greek, as all these things are. Um, but hi- hippo meaning horse and potamus meaning of water. So it's a horse of the water. And then yes. you just think, well, that's, that's so beautiful to get that additional layer of meaning to the, to the word hippopotamus. It really does give you that story. We had a word like that because we do family quiz every week via Zoom. Oh, well done. <laughs> You're still going. <laughs> most us, I think most of us have
1: given up. Good for you. You're going to win the my prize husband, for that my one. My husband and I won. And it, we hey. had a word like that. And it said hippo. And actually, because he learned Latin at school. And he said that's to do with horses. And it's interesting because actually knowing the backgrounds of words, he says, really has helped him with spelling and understanding yeah. so years later you know way past when he learned Latin at school he's still finding that really useful for understanding of words so we won the quiz anyway <laughs> excellent good for you well done that yeah, is <laughs> etymology etymology help there it really does because you, you some people answered hippo because they thought it was a hippopotamus but actually the hippo meant horse, meaning so, horse. Yeah. yeah fascinating <laughs> well it explains a lot of our
0: crazy spelling as well doesn't it
1: yes it does absolutely
0: <laughs> So I alluded to the word gap report earlier, and one of the key findings from that um, 2020 bridging the word gap at transition report is that academic vocabulary in particular is an area of of need for our young people, particularly looking between what does it look like to move from year six to year seven, uh, mm. you know, going up to the top end of of key stage two. But what words in particular do you think children need to learn, you know, is it possible to find a list?
1: Okay, so I've got kind of lists of words, so different things that I use, and it depends again, and I think we talked about this before the age of the children. Hmm. Because obviously, if if we look at the academic word list, it's a bit too tricky for, for example, perception children and key stage one children. It's okay as you move up into key stage two, but they kind of need to learn some other words. So I've kind of got three views on the words that (laughs) children need to use, and apologies for having three views. So you've got Isabel Beck and colleagues and lots of people are really familiar with the um, tiers of vocabulary. So at tier one, as most people know, that's your everyday language. It's it's well known, but people listening, people have got different, you know, they might not be aware. So things like the Nelly is quite good for that, that everyday language, because sometimes some children do actually just need the everyday language. They're not even ready to move on to tier two.
0: Yeah.
1: And tier two is your, your written language or your kind of academic language, if you like. And then tier three is your subject-specific words, um, particularly if you're looking at science, history, et cetera. Beck recommends in terms of that explicit teaching of vocabulary that we look at tier two words, and then we've got this academic word list that we produce. So when I worked on the Oxford Word Spot activity we looked at the oxford corpus and this corpus was if you like was kind of like kind of encapsulated a group of words that children at that age group so we were looking at key stage one in particular use so more able writers were using this vocabulary Mm. um, and we took the words from there and and so that was more age appropriate using the research in terms of supporting children For the younger age groups to kind of use the vocabulary of more able writers so that was something that we used in terms of words and they were much more appropriate for that age group another thing that I've recommended to schools still tier two vocabulary of course sometimes we might need to focus in on tier one vocabulary but it's making these links between vocabulary and spelling Because there's so much to do in the primary curriculum, a bit different to secondary, because we're teaching everything. I mean, I was lucky enough to escape music in all of the schools that I taught in, although I like music. (laughs) (laughs) What would Stormzy say? Stormzy won't be impressed (laughs) with that, Shireen. (laughs) I like music and I listen to it all the time. And I did do piano and violin as a child. But teaching music is a different thing. (laughs) and so I managed to escape teaching music throughout the whole time I was a classroom teacher and I also managed to escape teaching from a foreign language even though I did GCSE French we always had a French teacher or Spanish teacher come in to do the teaching (laughs) Um, (laughs) yes I I can see that suddenly having to teach French is quite a tricky one (laughs) yeah I mean I, I got my GCSE but that was it you know and um And so I just think we, in primary, we have to teach everything. We've, you know, we've got geography, history, topics, science, English and maths. We've also got this crammed day where we're trying to fit in everything. And so for a lot of schools that I work in, I've recommended that they sort of look at the tier three words, look at the tier two words within their curriculum and use those to teach, but also use the words that they might be using for pre-teaching. So before they read a book, Looking at those words and and unpicking those explicitly before they read them in the text. Yeah. So it's a combination, if you like, but just making it age appropriate for primary children.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Thank you. I know you know there are all sorts of websites out there out there to support us, but you can find you know key lists for vocabulary for, for teaching books, and then that helps you pre-teach. You're right, so that you you've got you know an idea before you even open the book.
1: Yes, so that's true. I mean, you don't want to unpick all of the words because obviously they need to be able to read them. But some of the more trickier words you might unpick, and, and some of those will be tier two and some of those will be tier three. Yeah. So just kind of um, unpicking those and knowing your class as well. Sometimes someone else, somewhere, somewhere far, has put together a list, but actually your class do know those words. And so knowing which words you want to tackle with your class would be really important.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's let's think about the link between vocabulary and reading. And I sort of want to think about that in terms of not just the, the text, which we know is vital, but the story behind the text. I know certainly as a mum, so my, in fact, I've got none left at primary school now. It's very sad. My youngest <laughs> has just gone into year seven. But certainly in the primary days, you know, the days when they came home and said, a spaceship landed on the top field. That's the catalyst for the piece of work they're doing about, you know, rockets or, or, you know, a science topic or whatever it was. And the primary school my kids went to were brilliant at doing narrative-based teaching and bringing it to life through little real events and dramas that would take place on the playground. And do you think that that's important to engage and focus and build voc- vocabulary for our kids?
1: Absolutely. I mean, as I said before, I absolutely love the drama in the classroom, acting out the characters, really getting into it. And I think that helps children with vocabulary, but also to visualise the vocabulary and to make inferences in terms of their reading. You know, I've been into schools where they've got the uh, fire brigade come in because they're doing the Great Fire of London and then they're going to read about it and the children experience it. firsthand. And that helps children who don't have that background. Yeah. So they might not necessarily have that experience at home, but they're getting that when they come to school. And one of the things I say is that sometimes, yes, the children might not have that experience at home, etc. But when they're in your school and they're being supported by you then you're going to help them and enrich them with a range of experiences. So drama, activities, going on trips when we can or even just watching it. The thing with vocabulary is it kind of fits in nicely with reading because you've got to understand the words in order for you to read and comprehend. Mm. But I think Mm. sometimes we kind of we focus so much on vocabulary, but we have to be mindful in terms of reading that it's just one aspect of teaching and reading. So we've got things like background knowledge. If we look at the Scarborough model from 2001, we've got the language structure that children um, need to know they need to uh, make inferences, and they need to have knowledge of the text. So vocabulary fits in within that wider bit of reading. I think why vocabulary is so important now is it's the aspect that we kind of forgot a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying yeah. to teach children reading, but we kind of forgot about the vocabulary bit and the, you know, the drama and all of that and the speaking and listening. And so I think it just supports us with kind of, Focusing, if you like, back on vocabulary and making that explicit for children. And so I just think if children are able to read the words and to understand them, that really supports their reading comprehension.
0: Yeah, because, of course, where that leads, you know, that that forgotten bit of vocabulary, which I think you're right. You know, I mean, I've I've been teaching, what, 20 something years and... Really, we weren't focused on vocabulary explicitly. I think obviously it's implicit and that's why we love teaching English in particular because, you know, you get to unpick, like we were saying, what what makes our pupils tick. You know, these gorgeous kids sitting in front of us and we get to know a little about them because we're talking about vocabulary. Yeah, it was all about reading and writing. You know, certainly for the first 15 years of my career, it was all about reading and writing. And then suddenly... There's this void and you think, well, how is it that my year 11 doesn't really know what it means to feel surprised, doesn't have another word for cold, doesn't know how to articulate feeling scared. And yeah, suddenly there's this chasm opening in front of us. And I remember that moment, maybe six, seven years ago when I thought, oh my goodness, there's a void here that perhaps previously, you know, was filled with with a more readily atmosphere, but you know, t- the way our kids li- live now is very different to what happened 20 years ago, isn't it? And absolutely, I don't blame technology in any way, because I think it's a hugely beneficial tool to almost everything that we do in life, but there
1: is a payoff perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly my experience. We focused in on the reading and writing and actually the vocabulary wasn't as explicitly taught and so that's something that more recently schools have been really working on. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah absolutely, Helen. It's just it's just a bit that might have been forgotten. Um, and I think sometimes that's it. It's just a new focus on the same thing, but just making sure we don't forget the other bits.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And it definitely bears repeating because without that, you know, the writing doesn't happen. There's nothing to come down your arm and into your pen if you don't have the words. Seamus Heaney, Seamus Heaney, isn't it? Seda, so, if you can say it, you can write it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I always say, and I can't, re- I can't remember where I got it from, and I apologise if somebody listening, it's theirs, and I'll acknowledge it later. But I will always say, think it, say it, hear it, like it, write it. Oh, that's nice. Say that again. Yeah, so think it, say it orally. Yeah. Hear it, because you've got to hear it to see if it makes sense. Yeah. Do you like what you have you know articulated in your mind then write it nice so i quite like that with children Mm. um particularly young children just for them to think about that process yeah um, and that's all rehearsal isn't it
0: right there practicing in an oral way what we're going to write yes it's a bit like the look say cover write check isn't it
1: for spelling it's the oral rehearsal before that commitment (laughs) to print i think it's so important to um have that talk and i know you're really passionate about oracy as well helen but just to have that thought before yeah. the writing and to have that vocabulary and that experience before the children are writing. So crucial, absolutely essential. They can't write if they haven't got any ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can see that on a classroom wall appearing as yeah. we oh, speak.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Loads of people have got it as a poster. And I always say, whenever you make a poster, particularly um, with young children, you put their faces on it. So they've had, they have ownership of it so think it say it hear it like it write it and then pictures of them on it because that's what they've come up with that's their thing and that's what they use so that you know personalize it if you are going to use it
0: absolutely right yeah because then that you've got buy-in haven't you they feel that it's yes. for them let's finish up with a few quick fire shireen wilkinson questions okay we ready yes so for what you would say are your favorite things okay it's not gonna be about food don't worry (laughs) um okay
1: what's your favorite poem I really liked I'm quite nerdy actually um lots of people don't know this so I can be cool and nerdy at the same time (laughs) Um, but I I really liked Wilfred Owen Owen's poems his war poems I actually found those really interesting as a child um reading those and I quite like reading those war poems and that's kind of like my sort of nerdy side if you like okay so you're a Dulce et decorum There we go. We're back to Latin. Yes, I do. I really loved reading that, and really just really unpicking um, it and, and going through. So, I do like modern poetry as well, but I also like older poetry too. So I really like that poem. There you go. <laughs> that's my nerdy side. Lovely. No, and that's be cool. cool. I like, like stormy lyrics too, which you know is a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I did do a degree in English literature, so I do I do like those. And, and aren't lyrics a great
0: way to engage our less less interested kids? Yes. But obviously not always. But yeah, the minute you the minute you say it's a it's a lesson about lyrics, they're in it. They're in it. But
1: if you say it's a, a poem, then maybe not so much. But yeah, lyrics yeah. Are definitely engage. And if you can, and if especially if the lyrics include poetry and include things like idioms, then you can really explore the kind of nuances of language when you're when you're doing that. It has the same effect as well. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. An and idiom has this nasty habit of appearing in Key Stage 2 SATs, I've noticed.
1: Yeah, they come up all the time. So you've either got a question around it or you've got a reading text where the children have to mm. understand it. But it does, I mean, I know because I do a lot of training with upper Key Stage 2 as well as uh, Key Stage 1. And lots of teachers say, "Oh, you know, they find idioms. They've been told not to speak in idioms because of children with special educational needs, etc. However, <laughs> at the end of Key Stage 2, quite a lot of papers, particularly the higher paper at the other end, has idioms within it and the sort of complexity of language. So it's important that we teach it yeah. um, at some point as the children get older.
0: Because unless you know a bird in the hand is worth two
1: in the bush... And what
0: that means. You've
1: got no hope of working that out. No, you haven't. And it's important for children to actually learn those. And, and quite a lot of, so for Adele, for example, the pop star Adele, she, um, she uses idioms quite frequently throughout most of her songs. Oh, top advice, Shereen. That's great.
0: The only tricky thing is you can't burst into song. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which for me is quite hard. I, it's like sitting on my hands, don't sing. I'm like Miranda, don't sing. <laughs>
1: But like there's always a child that can sing in the class, just get them to do it. I love it. I love (laughs) hearing their little voices, it's so wonderful. Awesome. Okay, so that was your
0: best poem. What's your what's your favourite game? So we've been playing Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) Yay. Lockdown (laughs) win.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm really enjoying that actually and just sort of it's really made me think of um particularly if we're thinking about vocabulary that kind of retrieval and sort of all that bit about memory because you're kind of like you're digging into your brain oh I remember this yeah. from school or or from college or university I remember it but I just can't oh, <laughs> and you I can think... literally feel
0: yourself trying to drag it up from the depths <laughs> yeah. can't you yeah definitely yeah. but games games have such um such a benefit, don't they, of, of boosting vocab
1: because of the whole talk around what you're doing and... And just understanding the words, understanding the question. And actually, it just makes it fun, fun as well. You're kind of learning, but also engagement as well.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay, last one. What's your favourite word? My favourite word. I actually said it earlier, Helen. <laughs> oh, oh, now Did I spot it? Not stormy. See, see if we can retrieve that word. <laughs> um, my favourite word is spontaneous. I love it. As a child, so it was something that my mum taught me when I was about, I think, eight. And she said, oh, you could use this word spontaneous, Shireen, in your writing. I thought, I've oh, I've learned this new word. It's kind of like the earlier version of explicit teaching of vocabulary. And so everything I wrote from then, even my GCSE would have spontaneously or spontaneous in it, because that would be my word. Um, And so it's interesting then that vocabulary, even back then, was so important. The other word, which I think people use it now quite a bit, is unprecedented. (laughs) <laughs> Once I'd learnt that word. <laughs> We're using that one a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once I'd learned that word, and that was sort of 20 years ago for my degree, I would always try and include it in some opening. So I think learning words is just, you know, really supports you with your writing, your reading and your understanding. So and I think you're right. I think we do have words that become ours, don't we? Yes.
0: Yeah, yes. De- definitely. And do you know that that again reminds me of something um Zara Bay, who's the Founder of No More Exclusion says in that latest WordGet report, she says that young people have to see something of themselves in the
1: language that we're teaching. I think that's really relevant, and that's it's really kind powerful. of makes yeah, it makes it relevant for them. And also, if we're teaching vocabulary explicitly, then children have got that ownership of the word, yeah, and so they're more likely to apply it into their writing because yeah. they understand it very well. And it's empowering.
0: Shireen, that was an absolute joy to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast and sharing all your thoughts and memories and poems. And I loved listening to your little poem at the beginning about you when you were five.
1: I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much, Helen. Really good to have a good chat with you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com/education/podcasts.